to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, hey, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Last week, being Father's Day, I, I didn't teach on what I was going to teach on. As you know, I go verse by verse through the Bible. Chapter by chapter, I just kind of move through. But last week, uh, it didn't seem fitting. To me, I didn't think so. And I pray that, that I did the right thing. I think we had a good time last week. I, th- I know I did. As we looked at, you know, the makings of a man and and what a man looks like in the eyes of the Lord, I know that, you know, for my own preparation for that, it was something that that spoke to me, and I hope that it spoke to not just the men but also the women. But we did uh, not press forward in Second Corinthians chapter eight because the next two weeks, uh, you know, and I'm kind of looking around. I'm not really seeing a whole lot of new faces. I, I know we've met before, and so that's a that's a great thing. So I don't see a whole lot of new faces. So that it, it, that's that's a good thing, and and it's also you know not necessarily a bad thing. It's 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 the thing is is that this study it's going to talk about giving. We're going to be talking about giving. And I know that as any pastor, uh, well, especially in the fellowship that I that I happen to be very comfortable with and am uh, very familiar with in the Calvary Chapel uh, ministries, I know that there's a lot of Calvary Chapel guys that just don't like to talk too much about money. I mean, so much of the world looks upon you know churches and pastors in in a way that they think and they have this idea that. Pastors are all about what they can get out of your wallet. And I hope and pray that in the time that I've been here, you know that that's not who I am and what I, what I do. And, you know, and most Calvary chapels are not like that. And, and they're, they, they don't preach on how much you give, you know, and, and how much you need to give. And they will talk about finances. They'll talk about money. They'll talk about the, the, the responsible manner in which we handle money given according to what the Lord has, has dictated in his scripture and, and laid down in his word. And uh, we'll do that in a responsible manner, but we, we don't spend a lot of time on it. We won't have necessarily a, a temperature gauge on this side of the stage and another temperature gauge on this side of the stage saying, hey, we need this amount of money. This is how much we need. This is how much you've given. And we need, we're, we're seriously lacking. Come on, guys, you got to pick it up, you know. And you're not going to hear that from here. And so I think that a lot of people know much about giving and, and, and know uh, enough that they understand that, you know, tithes and, and giving is, is necessary for a church. But I don't think it's a subject matter that we need to talk about every week, nor do we have to talk about it every once out of every four weeks, you know. I think that one of the things that keeps me safe and I think keeps Calvary Chapel, a lot of Calvary Chapel, I'm not saying just Calvary Chapel, it's just who I am familiar with, but... What keeps us kind of safe is that we just talk about money as it approaches itself in Scripture. And so we try to teach it the way that 
the Lord lays down. We're going to get to it, and we will get to it, but you know, you know, there has not been a plate that has been passed here. You know that. Uh, many churches do pass a plate. I have nothing against that. You know, uh, you know, my distant mentor and Pastor Chuck Smith, you know, who was a distant pastor of mine for many, many years, um, and still is to some in some, you know, sense of the of the word, uh, even though he's been gone for a few years, and. Uh, he he had a an offering that they passed, you know. So it's not like hey, that you know Calvary Chapel where it all began, you know they they pass a plate, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, we just have chosen not to do that. We have a box in the back. You want to give? It's right back there. That's what you do. That's how we that's how we go about it. We don't focus on one thing other than hopefully and prayerfully Jesus. I pray that we and you can understand that what we need to focus on mostly is Jesus. We need to focus on Christ. And, and so that's what our, our intent is here, what our desire is here. And so when we come to a, a time where it talks about money and talks about giving, um, it's always for a, a pastor like myself, it's always a little, uh, oh man, I, you know, if there's a lot of people that come in that are new I don't want them to go, oh, yeah, here, great. Here's another church that just talking about money. I knew that you finally got me here, and now you're talking about money. I told you, every time I go to a church, they talk about money. Um, that's not the case here. We don't really talk about it unless it comes up in Scripture, and it, that's where we are. On the other hand, it is kind of a cool thing when you have somebody new that comes in and hears, you know, a uh, hopefully an honest and an accurate take on God's view of money and you see it in scripture and you you know it's not the emphasis of of the church is money you remember me talking about this I know that if you've been around any time with us here at Calvary Chapel you've heard this before but um, surprising to probably not many of you probably my favorite place of sections in a newspaper on Sunday is the comics section I love the comics and, uh, you know, there, there was an old comic. Uh, I've, I've always loved the comics. I've always loved to read the comics. Back where I grew up, uh, out in California, there was a, uh, a comic strip uh, that was written by a fellow by the name of Bill Keen, who wrote The Family Circus. Any of you guys remember The Family Circus? The Family Circus was a one, typically was a one-pane uh, comic where it usually was just a circle. And uh, inside the circle, it had whatever the comic was that day. They didn't typically have a series of, of comic strips. It was just usually just a one-pane comic. And, and on this one particular day that I remember reading in this paper and, and, and seeing this, this was back when I was probably 15, 16 years old, I remember seeing Bill Keen had written, and, and he would oftentimes, it was a very family-oriented, family-minded you know, comic strip where, you know, he and his wife and their three kids, um, uh, Dolly, PJ, and Billy um, were, uh, you know, the kids and, and all of the different happenings that go on. Well, Bill, uh, the father in the comic strip was actually him, you know, he was, he was the guy who did comics. And so, uh, he wrote in there one day, hey, Bill's taking a vacation, and it, it was all part of his 
thing for the, for the paper, you know. Bill's taking a vacation, so he gave his pen, his cartoonist pen to his son, Billy. And so Billy's going to take over for today. And I gave him a, 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 a you know, a topic to, to, to do. And I said, what do you want to be when you grow up, you know? And so that was at the top of the pane. And then inside the circle, it showed Billy sitting there at a desk with a pencil in his hand with a, a blank palette in front of him. And, and then all of these little clouds coming out of his head of the things that he wanted to be when he grew up. And one was a police officer who had a whistle in his hand and his hand up, you know, doing this. And one was a fireman, you know, and what did a fireman have? A hose, yeah, a hose in his hand, squirting. Um, uh, one was a a doctor. What did the doctor have on him? A stethoscope, and had I, I never understood what that little thing was on his head. You know, that big thing. You know, Marcus Welby, MD. You know what? Yeah, an operating light on the head. You know, uh, I use those things. You know, in my handyman work that I use is kind of fun. You know, but. Um, this big thing, you know, on his forehead, you know. But, and so that's what was in the doctor. And there was a few others. But then they had a pastor. What do you think was in the pastor's hand? Huh? A Bible. Huh? No. A plate. <laughs> and hands throwing money in. And so the pastor, you know, uh, and basically it was a black, you know, jacket with a little white, collar you know that he had on you know and 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 had a smile a gracious smile on his hand but a bucket out there and people throwing money and i said you know even back then when i wasn't really walking with the lord because i wasn't really walking very strong with the lord i thought wow what a picture that has just painted is that what pastors are known by is that what pastors are not a bible you think you think that the picture should be you know maybe you know you know, whatever you're going to do with a Bible in your hand, maybe with your hand out, you know, talking like this with a Bible, with the confidence of the word. But no, not that. A bucket. And I'm just going, no, no, no. Even back at that age, it affected me. And it obviously affected me such that I still speak about it to this day. Sometimes when you think of pastors, you think of church, you think of money. You think of, oh, money, 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 money. No, that's not what we think about. Obviously, we don't think about all of that in here, right? Uh, we don't have a lot of fanfare in here. Yeah, we do have a couple TVs, you know, to help us to, you know, worship and where, you know, we used to have, you know, the, the music on the sheets. What I didn't like about the sheets is that you sang down here and your voice was down here and you sang down into your sheets. What I like about the, the TVs and we used to have an overhead is that your head is up, you don't have anything in front and you're able to sing out to the Lord. And it's, it's, you just follow along with what's going on. And, and it's, it's, I think it's much more inducive to a time of worship to where you can close your eyes I know you guys do this because I see some of you guys do this. You do this and you're singing and your hands are raised, but you kind of forget those lyrics and you go, you know, you just open that one little eye and you're singing. Oh, you're, you, your eyes seem to be closed, but you can see that little shine of that one little eye that's sticking out there to read those lyrics. I do that. I do that when I don't know it. That's real. Doesn't mean I'm not worshiping. Doesn't mean I'm cheating just means I just didn't know the words. I love the song. I love what it says. I just don't remember the order of the words. And so you're not cheating when you do that. So just you 
you, you've got a, a, a free pass. Do that from now on, you know. But here's the thing. A lot of fanfare in a church. A lot of, of, you know, needless use of the money. Uh, hopefully you don't see that here. But here's the thing. Paul has going, is going to be addressing the church in Corinth today in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. But he's going to speak to them from where he is in, in Macedonia. And just so you understand, Corinth was kind of like the, you remember her, you remember me when we first started our, our first study and our, even on our second study into 2 Corinthians, but our first time that we got into 1 Corinthians, we talked about Corinth as being the city much like we look at Las Vegas. You remember, what's the phrase that we understand about Las Vegas? What? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We all know that, right? And that's a kind of the same kind of a phrase with Corinth, is that Corinth was kind of like this metropolis, uh, you know, a, a place where you went to live a debaucherous life. And, and they offered it, you know, wildly there. And so to have a debaucherous life in Corinth, eh, wasn't even really looked down too much. Now, Corinth was also very well studied. They were very smart. They were very well educated, very well educated. But it was also a very decadent city. It was a, it was a city that, that uh, uh, really there was, there was no restrictions on morality. And, and so there we have in Corinth, you had that. And because that was the moniker of the city, basically, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. You can call it maybe Las Corinth, you know, not Las Vegas, but Las Corinth, you know. Uh, as we, we have that mindset there, you had people that came from all other countries to come to that place because what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And so they did that. And so you had all this outside money pouring into this place. Corinth wasn't a, a poor city. Corinth was a wealthy city. Corinth had a lot of money, a lot of money. Paul had started a church there. He had been there preaching for about 18 months as he had ministered there as Pastor Paul of Corinth, the, 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 the church of Corinth, Calvary Chapel Corinth maybe, you know. And, and so Paul is there and as he does that, he's gotten to know the people, he knows them, he's teaching them, but they've had some failures, they've had some, some, some issues that Paul's had to deal with and he is going to deal with them on a few other things. Well, Paul's not in Corinth right now, Paul's in Macedonia and he's, he's in a place where Macedonia was not known for what Corinth was known for. Macedonia was a very, very poor city, a very poor city. And, and that is necessary for us to know as we dig into our study because it's going to make a whole lot more sense as we understand that Corinth is very wealthy, Macedonia was very poor. It was a very poor time. Paul writing in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of, churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, it abounded in the riches of their liberality. 
For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And they did, they, and this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete the, this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, and we'll get into verse 7 after this. But here's the thing. Paul, he opens up Second Corinthians chapter 8 talking a little bit about Macedonia. Macedonia is very poor. It's in deep poverty. But they have an abundance of joy. The abundance of joy comes from, Jesus says, uh, you know, I came that you might have joy and that your joy would be full, right? Jesus came to bring joy, to bring joy to a heart. Oh, does it mean that you're going to have a joyful life? A joyful, is it going to be, that, does it mean that your, your joyful life uh, is actually translated into Having everything work out for you perfectly in life? No, that's not what it means. That's not what Jesus talks about in joy. Those of you who've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that as you've gone through some of the deepest of trials in your life, that there is something there that is that passes what this world would know and could understand. And that is that there is a peace there in the midst of the trial. There's a peace there that is in the, the midst of this incredible time and devastation in your life. There is a peace. I just had a friend of mine who lost his wife uh, at, over in Fort Lauderdale. Kind of has touched me a bit in the midst of it. They were friends of ours. Owen and Lynette Ridgely. Uh, she spelled her name the same exact way as my wife. And we, were, we worked together. We were all on staff together over in Fort Lauderdale for a, a time. And, and uh, Lynette was a picture of health for many, many years. And then she had this cancer. And the cancer ended up taking her life. And it just, she passed away just a, a few, about a month ago. And uh, young mom, you know, kids, beautiful kids. And here... It, it breaks my heart for my friend. Owen was one of my accountability brothers when I was over in Fort Lauderdale. And, and it broke my heart. He and Owen and Donnie Dukes and, and uh, Bobby Kraft and uh, us four guys were accountability brothers over there. And it breaks my heart for my brother that he is dealing with what he's having to deal with and carry on with his kids and and, it, and it's a tough thing. But you know what? Even in the midst of it all, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm sitting in the world and I'm sitting there looking at, at, and I just am a friend of Owen's on Facebook because, well, I've gotten to know him and I knew him outside of the church or something like that, to see a joy that is still there, not just in his eyes, not just in his life, but even you can see it in the eyes. Eyes don't lie, do they? Eyes don't lie. Someone can sit there and have this just deep, devastated loss. And they can say, I'm joyful. And you can see in their eyes, no, you're not. No, you're not. I know you're saying that because you want to believe it, but you don't have that deep peace. You don't see that in the eyes of these kids. Oh, and it's not because they didn't love their mom. They adored their mom. But there's a joy. 
There's a deep joy in the midst of Owen's eyes. Even though you can hear in his words the devastation, there's still a joy. There's still a joy. And he writes about the joy that is deep, even in Christ, even in the midst of the trial, even in the midst of this incredible trial. And I only bring that up because, to me, I think that that's one of the most devastating things that can happen in my life is for my wife to be lost to me. Or my son to be lost to me in such horrific manner, sitting there watching them die. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible fate. And to have a joy, to sit there and to, to see the joy even in the midst of the trial. It's not happiness. Happiness and joy are two different things. You understand that, right? Happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is something that is ingrained deep. Joy is something that is there because it is, it is ingrained. It is, it is set deep and sunk deep into a soul of a person. That can only be set there by Christ. And when you see men and women, and you may be them, and I know that there are some of you in this room that have gone through incredible trials yourselves, and yet you see the joy in your eyes. It's just, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and Paul writes about that here. He says to the, uh, about the, the, the Macedonians, in great trial of afflictions, Man, the abundance of their joy was incredible. And their deep poverty. It abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness, and he's writing to the Corinthians, I'm telling you about the Macedonians. You are a wealthy people. You're a wealthy church. You're a wealthy city. I'm writing to you from a poverty-stricken city that has this incredible joy, even in the midst of these deep, agonizing, terrible afflictions that are upon them in this city. Even in the midst of their deep poverty, they have this joy that is deep-seated. And it's found in Christ, right? It's found in Christ. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Now, before we go on so that we would understand even a little bit more, what gift is being spoken of? The gift that is being spoken of, we've talked about it over the course of uh, us talking through the book of, of, of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, even as we've moved through the, even the, the, uh, uh, the book of Acts, you will see that the gift that Paul is talking about as he's going into these different locations, Paul is receiving financial gifts from different churches in the Asia Minor uh, region, in, in, in the Rome region even. He's, he's receiving gifts in, in all of these areas that he has been called to as a minister, as a missionary, if you will, to minister to these cities. He receives gifts from them, and he's collecting this gift, this financial gift, to take it to where? Somebody knows. Jerusalem, right. He's taking it back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, where it all began, it's the epicenter of where Christ was crucified. It's the epicenter of where the church began there in an upper room 
with the, with the, the, the breath of the, of the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit coming through that, that upper room. And, and here you have the birth of the church. And it, the birth of the church actually happened even before the upper room. The birth of the church happened when Christ rose again and when he approached the 12 dis- 11 disciples at the time. Judas was gone. He done hung himself and bur- then burst asunder. It's a whole other study, but here's the thing. He's meeting with the 11 and he meets them and he breathes on them and says to them, what did he say? Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm of the conviction that when Jesus breathes on someone and says, receive the Holy Spirit, I'm under the conviction that they received the Holy Spirit at that time. I think that that's when the church began. That was when it all began right there, when he was with the 11 disciples. Not in that day, you know, 58 days down the road at Pentecost where, where you, know, the, you know, the wind rushed through the room. It all began with the 11 disciples. That's when the church began. That's when the church began. And, and so the church started there in Jerusalem. And you remember that as you move on through Acts chapter 1 and then into Acts chapter 2, you, you remember how it says there in Acts chapter 2 that they, each person began to sell off their things. They began to sell off all of their things and then gave unto the disciples and the apostles there to distribute to anyone as they had need. That was a radical, radical move of the church in a, in a, in a, uh, in a demonstration, not in an attempt, but in a demonstration of sacrifice from that church because they, didn't, they thought that Jesus was going to come back very soon. They thought that Jesus went into the clouds and he was actually going to come back in the next couple weeks. You know, Maybe the next couple months, but whatever. We have a job to do and we need to do it now. And so let's sell everything that we have. Let me sell my business. Let me sell my house. We'll live in a tent so that we can go out and minister. And they sold all their stuff off. They gave unto the church. And, and the thing is, is that they began to do a lot of really neat things, but... As Jesus tarried and he hadn't come back at that time, all of a sudden, life continued on and these people started to become more poverty-stricken and more poverty-stricken. And because I don't, I think that this was a mistake. Personally, I think it was a mistake. Now, I'm not going to, that's not dog, I'm not dogmatic on that. But I don't see them asking the Lord, should we sell everything and give unto the poor? Sell everything? Now, Jesus said that to one guy who, would get, who was the rich young man, remember? Rich young ruler, he said that to him. But I think that there was a reason, don't you think? That he asked that guy, what's that, Ross? It was his heart, right. It was his heart. His heart wasn't right because his heart was wrapped up in money. It was up, his, his identity was in his finances, in his bank account. That's who I am. It's my money. I have a lot of things. I'm a rich man. Jesus, I want to follow you. What do I have to do? And Jesus goes, hey, go and sell everything that you have. Give it all unto the poor and then come and follow me. (laughs) He had a chance to be a disciple. That's right. What a great point right there. He had a chance to be a disciple, but he blew it because he went away sorrowful because he had a lot. He had a lot. 
But that wasn't a precedent that Jesus was talking about where you become saved and sell off everything that you have and give it unto the poor and then come and follow Christ. No, it was for that one particular individual that was wrapped up his life and his identity was in his finances, in his bank account. And so here's the thing. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for, for you know, I can't... It, Pretend to know what it is for you. But I know that Christ has called you to lay some things down in your life to come and follow him. And it's cost. It's cost you. It's cost me. And there may be some of you, there may be myself even, that we've kind of held on to some things that Christ has told us to let go of. And we are not the better person for it. We're hindering our walk. We're hindering what it is that God has called us to do. And so I'm not saying it's the money. If you're wrapped up in money, maybe that is for you. But it might be a talent that you have. It might be something that you do have. I know one of the things that God had removed from my life. Are you willing to give this up? Are you willing to do this for me? I have a plan for your life. Are you willing to follow me? Yeah. All right. Well, you're going to have to give up your flying. Mm, okay. Yeah, and you're going to have to give up your family in California because you're going to move and you're not going to see them like you do. Now listen, I'm not sitting here going, hey, look at me. I'm not, listen, there's a lot of you guys that have given up a lot. But for me, those were things that that were tough for me. They were tough for me, and, and I did. I don't know if the Lord's maybe bringing some flying back into my future. I don't know. I'm hoping. I think so. I think he is right now. I don't think it's a sin right now. I'm, I'm cautiously moving forward with flying. But here's the thing. Is this really what God wants me to do? He pulled it out of my life in order to bring me to a place where I can be used. Is he slowly giving me some of that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm willing to take a step out and say, hey, man, I'll never step behind a, you know, get in a cockpit ever again if that's not what you want me to do. But here's the thing. For me, that was that. I was wrapped up. My identity was in my family and in my flying. And so it's in that that those were things that I had to give up. I don't know what you have to give up. But here's the thing. That's not a precedent for you. If you've never flown in an airplane, how hard of it would be for a sacrifice if God said to you, give up your flying? <laughs> you know, if the Lord were to say, Don, give up your money. I, that's, that's, I, I almost giggle. <laughs> I don't really have any money, Lord, but okay. You know, uh, you know it, I'm not, you know, is Don identified by the wealth that he has in finances? No, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not. Here's the thing. That's what that man was. But Paul, he's saying Macedonia is poor, but there's something about them that you can learn from, Corinth. I had visions of grandeur that I'd get all the way through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not even going to come close. We'll get through these first six verses and touch on seven just to understand what we're going to get into next week. He says, in Macedonia, they're poor. They're poor. 
but abounded, but it abounded in their riches and liberality. And I'm going to bear witness of, of them. Okay, I'm going to say something about them, that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Freely willing to do what? To give unto the church. To give unto me that I would be able to take this financial gift, couple it together with all of the other churches that have done that, and go and minister to the church in Jerusalem that had sold everything because they, they thought that they needed to do that in order to serve the Lord. And I don't ever see them ever asking God, hey God, should we sell everything and give unto everybody who has need at the expense of us losing all of our jobs? At the expense of us losing our homes? To, and hey, Listen, he may have called some people to do that. But it was the vast majority of the church that had sold everything. Could you imagine if, if, if God came into this room right now and said, hey, sell everything you have, all your home. Every, if, you, if you own a business, sell it. If you own a home, sell it. If you have a car, sell it. If you have a phone, iPhone, sell it. If you have an iPad, sell it. If you have video games, sell it. If you have a really designer purse, sell it. You have designer clothes, sell them. You have jewelry, sell it. Sell everything that's of value and give unto the poor. Now, if Christ had called us to do that, if he came in here and said, do that, well, hopefully we would do that because there would be a purpose. But I don't ever see God ever saying, that's what I want out of the first church. I think they did it out of their sacrifice. But I don't think that, that God ever looked down upon them for doing that. I think that God looked at the preciousness of that and said, Wow, they have sacrificed everything for me. And, and that's cool. That's cool. That's okay. And God protected them and ministered to them through men like Paul. What we have is a record of Paul going around through all these other churches that weren't in Jerusalem, that had been directly affected and impacted because of what happened in Jerusalem that is now happening there in these other cities all across the globe, Paul's going to these places and he's saying, hey, the epicenter is in desperate need and I'm taking, I'm taking a, an offering back to them to bless them and to help them stay afloat. And so he does. That's what he's doing. But he goes to Macedonia and he goes to a very poor, poor, poverty-stricken city that is wrapped and racked in, in affliction and he says, hey, so as to not exclude you from the church. What I've done with all the other churches, I am taking an offering for a church that is in desperate need back in Jerusalem. And I'm going to take it by my hand. And to, to go back, these are your brothers and sisters that are in desperate need back in Jerusalem. Um, give unto them and I'll take it to them. And, and Paul says, let me tell you what I saw. Not only did they, did they give according to their ability. No, they, they actually gave beyond their ability. Have you not noticed that oftentimes the poorest of the poor will give financially more? And, and, and you go, well, wait a minute. They don't give more. You remember Jesus acknowledging that young widow, or that, that widow, that gave just 
all that she had under the temple. I gave. She gave a, a denarius, I think is what it was. It's all that she had. Jesus says, do you see all these others that are over there and they're giving? They're tooting horns and all that kind of stuff thinking that that's really impressing God. That doesn't, by the way. I am God. That doesn't impress me, by the way. Um, Do you see them all giving? And, And everybody's going, wow, look at how much they're giving. But do you see that one woman over there? She's given maybe what what could equate to Maybe a loaf of one of the pieces of one of one of the loaves of bread. It might be able to to provide some ingredients, some of the ingredients to pay to make one loaf of bread to go into the temple. The value of what she gave really isn't a whole lot. She she didn't give a lot. She gave really almost nothing. But Jesus says, but she gave all that she had. These others over here, they gave out of their sustenance. They gave, they gave out of what they had. Oftentimes, the poor will give far and above. Can you imagine if everybody gave as that woman gave that day? She had everything that she had, she gave. Can you imagine that wealthy guy that's wanting the toot on the horn? Hey, hey, look at me. I gave, you know, a thousand denarii today. Woohoo! How generous. Well, wait a minute. You might have been able to put in 40,000 denarii. Oh, that would be way too generous. Well, no, that would be what she gave. She gave one. You gave a thousand, but you could have, if you gave what she gave, you would have given 40,000. That's crazy. Now you're trying to rip me off. Really? God's trying to rip you off? What does he do with her? What she did is she sacrificed. She gave unto the Lord. Why? Because of what God had already given to her. What God had already given to her. You see, if we get this out of our head that our money is our money, it's not ours. It's God's. And and, and so the thing is, is that Paul is trying to set an example of the Macedonians who are poor. And by the tone of what he says, and we will see it as we go on next week, you'll see that they are giving more than the wealthy church of Corinth was giving. Oh, it might not have been monetarily more, but they were giving far more. Because they gave of what they of all that they had, basically. Not just their ability. That's what he says. Their ability might have been, hey, they may have been able to, as the church as a whole, they might have come together and been able to give a thousand. That would have been their ability. That would have blown my mind if they would have given a thousand, because that's their ability. But they gave me twenty thousand. Not just their ability, they went beyond their ability. And and it almost looks like Paul sits here and goes, whoa, 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 that's too much for you guys. That's too much for you guys. Your ability, 
I'm thinking is about a thousand. Now I'm putting numbers in here to kind of give us an idea of how this is going down. Paul's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think your ability is this, but you've given far more than that. Take back some of that stuff because you don't have that kind of money. And they, it, look at what it says. I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. I want you to take this, Paul. Take it to the church that needs it. We understand how hard it is when you have need. Isn't that the, the truth? Those who are hurting the most and have hurted the most and that have been so destitute, they often know and will give more because they've been there. They've been there. They know what it's... It says in verse 4, they implored us with much... And so here he's saying that they urged us. They implored, they're going, no, you don't understand... We know what they feel like. We know what they're going through. We know that they need... Give this to them. And Paul is just floored. He's floored. He's thinking, my goodness, this is one of the poorest churches I've ever been to, the poorest regions I've ever been to, and they're giving far more than I've ever seen anyone give. Especially as it, as it pertains to Corinth. You have so much, Corinth. I want you to understand the giving and the joyous heart that these have over here. And this they did. Verse 5, not as we had hoped, but first they gave of themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And, and, And so this is a very important understanding. They didn't just give the money just because they wanted to give the money and be seen. The thing is, is that they said, what Paul's pointing out, first, they gave to us in service. They gave unto the Lord. They gave unto the Lord their their time, their effort. Giving unto the Lord is not always just finances. Giving unto the Lord is sometimes your time. Giving unto the Lord is sometimes a word. Giving unto the Lord is sometimes an effort to minister. What he's saying is that they're demonstrating a changed life because God grabbed a hold of their life and they've cha- and God changed their life and they don't recognize that their lives are their own any longer. And if God can take anything of mine, take it. Because if it's our time that you need, you've got it. If it's if it's our if if, if it's our talents that you need, use them. If it's whatever we have that you can use, use it. Oh, we have money too. We'll give you the money. Oh, you don't have that much money, Paul says. Oh, you don't have that much money. We're asking, no, we're imploring you. Take this with you. And Paul's like, wow. He's blown away. What it is, it's an indication of a church that was radically saved. That understood what a walk with the Lord was. We own nothing in and of ourselves. It's all of the Lord's. Our homes, our talents, our lives, everything that we are, our finances, everything, it's the Lord's. Paul will go on and he'll talk about how he looks at how the Lord, it says verse, uh, um, and I know I said I wouldn't get there, but verse verse 9, just look at this. It kind of gives you an understanding of why Macedonia did that. For you know, verse 9, that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. 
He's saying Christ was rich. You kind of go, well, when was he ever rich on this earth? I don't ever see Jesus ever rich on this earth. He was born of a virgin, uh, an unwed mom. He was a, he, you know, he, he was a, he, he was a, a, a child of an unwed mom for a year. He was a carpenter. They didn't make a lot of money back in that day. We don't really see a whole lot of money that he had. So where was he rich? Where did he give? Oh, he was here. He's always been. He's always been. He was in heaven. He left heaven and became a man that we might have what he has. He gave up what he had to give us what he did have, what he had, to give up what we have in order to receive what he had. And, and, and so here's the thing. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Though he was rich, he became poor for your sakes, that through his poverty, you and I would become rich. They understood that in Macedonia. They haven't gotten it in Corinth yet. And sometimes we as a church, we don't get it. We haven't gotten it. Giving is a a grace. You see it there in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. It's an, it's an evidence of the grace of God. Giving is an evidence of the grace of God. You understand the grace that has come upon you. The grace that you have been, that has been bestowed upon you. I am deserving of hell. And you gave your life for me that I can inherit heaven. I can have my sin. I can have my sludge. I can have my, my wickedness washed away to where in God's eyes I'm clean and one day I will be in heaven. You became me that I can become you. you know? and, and so I am giving up heaven for, for uh, hell for heaven. Jesus is saying I'm leaving heaven to come and live through a hell that you can inherit heaven and not because of anything you've done. Because while we, God demonstrated his love, right? We know that, right? God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it was nothing that caused God to come and save you and I. No goodness, no righteousness in and of ourselves. We were simply sinful sludge monsters. We were, we were wicked in the eyes of the Lord. We were sinful and lost. And God loved us so much that he says, man, that's a poor state those guys are in. I love them and I'm going to go demonstrate my love for them and that while in their sin, I am going to show them the way. I'm going to die for them. I'm going to rise again for them and I'm going to take them out of their eternal hell and I'm going to take them into heaven with me. Just give them an opportunity to go to heaven. That's grace. You and I don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We've been given it. And giving is a part of grace. When we give, we give because God has given to us. He's shown us how, how to give. He's shown us how to give. And so we give because of that. We give 
Why? To minister to others, to minister to the body, to minister to others who are in need. That's why we do what we do. That's why we do what we do. That's what giving is about. It's giving is to go and minister on behalf of the Lord. God gave you, give back to the Lord. Give back to the Lord. I'm out of time. Um, We'll pick up next week here. And so, Lord, we pray that as we are listening to this and we're learning and we're growing, we're probably going to be maybe this week, next week um, uh, through this. I don't know that we'll go into the third week on this, but, Lord, I pray that you help me to articulate this in a way that is not boring by any means. Lord, that this is not attacking anyone, that this isn't uh, ever perceived as a manipulation to draw out more money. That's not what this is all about. Never has been about that. I never want it to be. I never want to be accused of that. God, I, I never want this church to exist to pay me or pay for this church. That's not what it's about. Lord, we'll go to a park if we need to. I pray, Lord, that we just do what it is that you want us to do. That's what it's about. Help me to articulate your word clearly. Help me to encourage not only myself, but my brothers and sisters in this room, in your word. This is what your word's saying. This is what our brother Paul is trying to articulate to the church in Corinth. They have so much and they've learned so much so far and Paul is still pouring into them. The parameters of giving. The reasons for giving. To where it's not a... It's, a, it's not a duty. It's not a law. It's not the requirement. It's not the, the beating down of a, of, of a regulation. It's not the duty, it's a devotion. I'm devoting back to you, Lord, because you have first devoted to me. You, I'm loving and giving back to you, Lord, because you have loved and given to me. And I do that freely, and I do that, as we'll learn here in the next chapter, hilariously. I do it joyfully. Help us, Lord, to understand that this isn't just about finances, but it's about our love, it's about our our time, it's about our efforts, it's about our willingness to, to reach out to those who others may not want to reach out to, to help those who others don't want to help, to minister to maybe someone who nobody else wants to minister to. We give you our, our time. We give you our efforts. We give you our talents. We give you our finances. We give you our all. Use them as, as you will, Lord. Help us to know what it is that you desire us to give. In whatever capacity you want us to give. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717.
1-7. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.